Welcome to the Author's Podcast with Lisa Newton. Writing a book is a dream for many people, and in today's society, it has become easier and more important than ever. If you are an expert, speaker, coach, or an authority in your field, having a book is the new business card. It can increase your credibility, enhance your status, and make you the go-to person in your field opening doors and bringing a flood of opportunities straight to you. You can increase your fees and start choosing the clients you really want to work with. The Author's Podcast Show with Lisa Newton is designed to inspire, educate and inform you, both entrepreneur and individual, on how to write a book, as well as writer's tips and strategies on how to actually get that book written. On today's show, you learn more about how to write a book, including writing ideas, marketing, and how to succeed in getting a book written. Here we go with the author's podcast, and here is your host, Lisa Newton. Welcome to another episode of the Authors Podcast. Today I'd like to introduce my guest who is Vicky Wuxie. She is an international author of five best-selling books and has also been a finalist in the Business Book Awards 2020. She has contributed to a further six published books and given that she's also a speaker and regular podcast guest, I'm not sure how we're going to cram everything into just 30 or so minutes, but we're going we're gonna to have a go. When not writing or speaking, Vicky runs two businesses helping clients to learn how to invest in property or directly finding bespoke investments for them. And if that's not enough, she was named as one of the Telegraph's UK's top 25 most influential people in property. Vicky Wuxie started investing in property in 2008. In recent years, she has helped clients invest over £5 million and bought over 70 properties. When not on holiday scuba diving as her alter ego, the property mermaid, she loves having time with her growing family now with two grandchildren. Vicky is clearly a thought leader, so I am going to be asking her why and how she has written so many books and how they play a part in her business. So let's crack on. So on the line, I should have Vicky Wuxie. Hello, how are you, Lisa? I'm not bad, not bad. I'm quite excited by this interview because um, property is uh, close to my heart. So let's dive in. So, so give us a, a little bit of your background then. So how did you move from being a, a university lecturer, because I've find out a little bit about you to author and property investor <laughs> well that was easy they they made me redundant they got rid of me so <laughs> there was no grand plan there there wasn't so like I woke up one morning and went oh my you know I've seen the light I really must you know whatever I loved the job I was in and the rotten stink pots yeah just went we haven't got enough money off you go and uh, depending on when your listeners are listening to this 2020 will have seen a lot of people in that position so yeah no choice about the matter and when I sort of like landed out on the other side and I knew it was coming because I had a whole team you know it wasn't just me it was like closing down a mini business so I made six of my staff redundant and had to leave myself till the end to be redundant because you know I needed to be there to make the rest redundant so I knew it was coming but it was still somehow a shock and so there was this period of what do I do with myself? And, and actually what happened 
was I ended up in some personal development. I had a go at being a consultant. I had a, I knew I didn't want to have a job. Being a university lecturer and the sort of the projects that I've been involved in for the previous 11 years mean that I'm probably not a very good employee. I'd probably be hard to manage and, and a bit of, you know, too much back chat for any manager who just wants to focus on output. I'd be going, well, why are we doing it like this? Why don't we do it that way? So personal development just gave me that space to think about what was really important to me. And I think that comes up over and over again. You know, 2020 has given me an opportunity to really reflect on what's important to me. And that's what's important to me. What is important to me are the things and the people that are important to me. And that's the driver then. So I knew that the one thing I really enjoyed from my job had been the fact that as a university lecturer, we got huge amounts of time off. You worked very hard when you were on, but you, when you were off, you were off. And so what I would do is I would use my off time. So as soon as the holidays were to prep, and I would create workbooks for my students. Nice. So I would plan out the whole semester's work, mm. put it all in a workbook. So in some ways, I was always writing. You can only see this when you look back. Yeah. You go, mm. oh, you've always been writing. You were writing when you were a student because you were writing a thesis. And then, then you were writing when you were a lecturer because you were creating notes. And a friend of mine, Tom Evans, who uh, I must put you in touch with because if you like authors man that man's prolific i think he's up to about 14 or 15 books but he ran a book writing course and what he said was and i think this is really important for your listeners if they are thinking of writing a book he said and i will paraphrase it just imagine that there are parallel timelines and in this other timeline your book has already been written now the interesting thing about that is you can't prove that he's wrong because we can't prove that we don't have the capability to prove that it's wrong so what if you just played with the idea that maybe in some other timeline your book had already been written so that takes away the fear it's already out there somewhere uh, we just don't know where it is at the moment because we can't see it so it's already out there your book so all you need to do is read your book in your head and type it out through your fingers to make it appear in this timeline and that's what I did I just, I write that. I still write that way. I still believe that somewhere my book is out there and that takes away all the fear. And then I just type as if I'm taking dictation. I see that's really interesting because one of the books I wrote was about cosmic ordering. And to me, that's about just um, understanding, you know, we're working in different dimensions. And like you say, I like that everything starts with an idea and you, you manifest that. So it's the belief. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and it ties in with so much other stuff, doesn't it? You know, I mean, we've got a rather sort of cruel fake it till you make it. But also scientifically, we know that the brain does not know the difference yeah. between thinking something is real and something being real. Yes. You know, it's like people are scared of spiders and they have decided that that's a real thing. Now, logically, get out the other side of that. And that spider isn't even the size of your fingerprint. How can you possibly be worried that that thing it, to evoke a flight and fight response to, to have you squealing in the corner of the room because something so tiny is there that it's never going to get you? Mm. Um, you know, it's because you have allowed that thought into your head. Well, you can also allow positive thoughts into your head. 
No, yeah, completely agree. And when you were a university lecturer, did you have a specialism? And have you written any books around that specialism? Well, I suppose in some ways, yes, because I started off as a business and computing lecturer. And that's what my first degree was in. And then my second degree was in education and knowledge and thought. So what I did was I taught computing to business students and I taught business to computing students. So I always taught the unwanted to the unwilling. They, they, never, <laughs> I like that. they, never, they never wanted me. And then I moved into teaching entrepreneurial skills. Mm. Um, and then I started working with the creative industries. And so if you look at my books, and I won't bother to list them because they'll be on the page, but they are telling you that the first book is about what I did in property. The second book, which is called Make More Money from Property, is about understanding that property is a business. So I have always looked at property a bit different, I think, to maybe a lot of people and recognize that it's just the same as if I had chosen to become a coach or a massage person or open a shop or a dog walker or, or some tech giant. Property is just another form of business. Sometimes when you're in the property world, you think that property is something else. I don't know what it is that you think it is, but you don't talk about property as if it's a business when you're in the property world as much. You talk about it as if it's something different. So yes, I've always write about business. And now I would say there are three themes that run through all my books, unless I'm not talking about property, but it's still mentioned there in my history. And that is the mindset. So starting off with the mindset that it's about having a wealthy mindset. It's about focusing, as I said to you early on, what's important to you and then the finances of it, you know, so how can you financially support this life that is important to you and make that plan? And then from the finances, do you want to move into business or do you want to move in specifically into properties, business in general or property in specific? So it's, it's just a long line. And everything that I do is around that. It's helping people get that mindset, recognize that they are capable of more than they ever believed. I, I constantly surprise myself with what I'm capable of and then maths and then put it into action. Excellent. You were listening to the Authors Podcast with Lisa Newton. Please do subscribe to, like and share this channel. So if you're just tuning in, I'm talking to Vicky Wuxie. Vicky is an international best-selling author and has written various books, including Using Other People's Money, How to Invest in Property and various other property books. So Vicky, let's talk about property and, and how you specifically became a property investor, because I know that there's so many people out there that uh, probably as many people want to write a book, <laughs> as many people who just somehow ever want to get into property. It's always those yeah. words they use, get into property. So what I thought was interesting is in your biography, you got into it in 2008, mm. um, started investing in property. So that was around the time of uh, a lot of turbulence. <laughs> so talk us through that. Yeah, yeah. I managed to decide to become an active property investor just as the market crashed. And look, <laughs> surprise, surprise, here we are again. But actually, you know what? As long as you've got the right knowledge and support, it's the best time to start investing. So what you have to be really wary of is that the market is going to go down and therefore you need to understand the maths. And maths is something I love. And I'm always so sad when 
I meet people who hate maths or fear maths. Maths is wonderful. It, you know, it's both creative and scientific for me. It's a brilliant tool. It helps you understand and shape everything in the world. And most importantly, it helps you understand that money is actually a tool and using money is a skill. And once you understand that, if you want to invest in property, then you need to understand that you need to understand how money works. And that means interest payments, etc. Yeah. And you need to understand maths because that'll make it all make more sense for you. Yeah. Now, I still hate reading the whole profit and loss statements and the accounting side. I mean, that bores me senseless. All I want to know is I don't want a whole sheet of paper. I don't want a booklet. I just want to know how much profit did I make? That's all I need to know. Because based on that one piece of information, I can decide if I need more information. And that would be about if the profit wasn't what I expected it to be, I'd want to go back and look at the expenses. And if the profit was more, I'd want to go look at what did I do that I managed to make more profit than I was expecting. So that's it. Again, it's just a tool. But I just started with, I always knew property was a good idea. Sometimes you don't have the language what, to describe what, things. What made you always know it was a good idea? In England, we, we have that saying, uh, safe as houses. Yeah, and that's rubbish, isn't it? That's rubbish. You're only as safe as your understanding of, of finances. Because the trouble with a house, whether you own it or whether you rent it, money's involved. And if you don't understand that, I mean, just a little piece back in my history, which you probably won't know, is that when I first left home at 18, I moved into rented accommodation like a normal person does. And then I met the man that became my husband and we moved in together as boyfriend and girlfriend into his flat and he didn't pay the rent and we got evicted. So I have been evicted as a tenant for not paying the rent. We then went on to buy a property and he didn't pay the mortgage either. And notice here, this isn't he as in I'm blaming him. I'll explain. He didn't pay the mortgage. We got repossessed. Mm. So I have been through that. And the lesson here is I had allowed the male partner in my life or the dominant partner in my life to be in control of the finances. And I didn't know any better. And that's because in my parents' relationship, I thought my dad was in charge of the money. I later found out actually that it was probably my mum that was in charge of the money. But I had this impression, this old fashioned impression that when you're in a relationship, the man is in charge of the money. Now through my business and I work with hundreds of people, actually that's not true. In some families, the woman is in charge and in some families, the man is in charge. The best families is where they both know about the finances because if you're both bringing money into the family and you're both spending money out of the family and you and your children all need to understand it and that's what I've been doing a lot through the early part of 2020 is speaking to people about finances and getting more clued up on it and so going back to the property question I don't know how I knew it was a good idea until I started investing. Before that, I had been aware of it. I was aware of my grandparents' house living on a large plot of land. And when my grandparents did, died, one of the things we were looking at was how we could build on the land. But we never followed it through because my father was more interested in other things. Property wasn't his passion or his interest. And then through moving, through rental properties, through being evicted and repossessed and all of those sorts of things, I started to learn words and language for a thing that I didn't know existed. Now, if I was renting a property back when I was, uh, you know, 18, 19, 20, and that's quite a while ago, won't tell you how long, then 
people must have been buy to let investors back in those days but we didn't have that language buy to let investors we didn't have buy to let mortgages all of that came around just somewhere slightly post 2000 or around the 2000 mark so it was new and it wasn't in 2008 that there were loads of courses around whereas now property investment is is part of our language it's part of the government's agenda you know the government is passing laws about taxes to do with property investing and the behavior of landlords and councils are interested in this and councils are putting in laws saying oh no there are too many shared houses in this area and that sort of stuff so it's it's part of our national psyche now that i don't think if you're listening to this now that you can understand that just 20 years ago it absolutely wasn't like that what do you think changed then? What changed? People finally worked out that ordinary people could invest in property. I think probably 20 years ago, there were what we now refer to as accidental landlords. Mm. So 20 years ago, grandma died, left you her house. You didn't know what to do with it. So you rented it out to a friend who hadn't got a place and they gave you some money and there wasn't probably proper legal contracts between things, etc. And then everything has got on the agenda of clever people. So, you know, the legal departments realize that we need to have contracts and there's money to be made here. There are now high street letting agents that can provide management services. So a whole industry built up around something that was previously informal. And if we go all the way back to old days, back in the times of Henry VIII, where there were kings and there were serfs and servants and everything else, practically everybody in the country, unless you were a lord and you owned a giant plot of land that was given to you by the king, you were a tenant you know, we had tenant farmers and all this sort of stuff. You were a tenant. And so it's it's always been there, but not the modern way that we do it. Because now we're tenants, but we're not a tenant of a lord that is farming the land. Isn't it interesting? Yeah. Land lord. Yeah. yeah. In the old days, yeah. we were tenant farmers of land. And the condition of us living in this property was that we worked this land. We either worked for the Lord or we worked the land or along with our little house came a plot of land that we worked, which then we sold our corn that made that we could pay the Lord of the land our money back. And now we're just ordinary people on high streets and in villages. This is what people do. And it's nothing related to sort of farming because we've built houses on everywhere. So it, it, yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating history and a fascinating industry to be in and looking at how it's evolved. But really, it's just the same. We've just put this structure around it, made it modern, made it up to date. I was aware of the fact that this was a good idea. I got literally got an email inviting me to do a, in those days, a free uh, two hour event. <laughs> Went along to one of them. You're laughing. You've probably been to one uh, of those Yeah, as well. I'm a seminar junkie. Been to yeah, so I was a hardcore sold on this. Yeah. So we went from the two hour free into the three day, just under a thousand pounds. And from that, wham, we spent £40,000 between us. So what happened was I went to the free event with Bob, my partner, brought along my sister and brother-in-law to the three-day event. And then from the three-day event, all of us signed up for this ridiculously expensive. And when I say ridiculously expensive, because the content wasn't there, the support wasn't there. It was just 
days of training and this three-day training pattern meant that day one was always the same it was bringing everybody up to speed well by the time you've done one course you don't need to be brought up to speed on the second course but you always were and then the afternoon was always about sales so you had about if you were lucky one and a half days content in a three-day weekend event so it wasn't good value for money that's why I say it was ridiculously expensive it was overpriced but they're still out there they're still following that model so it obviously works for them it's just whether it works for the investors so uh, Mm. that's a whole probably another podcast on critiquing property investment training but we won't go there so we did that we took the training course and literally off that first three-day taster session I'd already got two inches of notes and I was out there looking for property By the time we did our first bit of proper training, I'd already accidentally got two offers accepted. And I'm going accidentally because I was only practicing. I was told you need to put 100 offers out there before you start getting yeses. And someone said yes to offer 25 and 26. And I was thinking, no, I'm only practicing. You can't say yes yet. I haven't done the next part, of course. I don't know what to do. So, yeah, no, it it was good fun, exciting days. Now. I can look back having come through one recession and we're probably on the brink of another going, my goodness, how did I survive? How did I make it through? How am I still going 10 years later? Some of it is a degree of luck, but I also think it's about determination and more importantly, picking the right strategy right at the very beginning. You were listening to the Authors Podcast with me, your host, Lisa Newton. You can email me, lisa at lisanewton.co.uk. And remember, we have the Inner Circle, which is for writers just like you. And you can join us at writerbook.net. So if you're just tuning in, I'm talking to Vicky Wuxie, also known as the Property Mermaid. And she has written various books on property, including Make More Money from Property, From Investor Thinking to a Business Mindset, and Property for the Next Generation, Securing Your Future in Uncertain Times. Mm. So we, we really are in uncertain times. The one question people always ask, and I will ask, is, is now a good time to buy property in 2020? It's always a good time to buy property because whatever situation you're in, whether you're buying it as a residential home, if you can afford it, then it's the right time to buy it. Mm. And if you've already got your residential home and you've got surplus cash, then investing in property will give you a better return. I've just done a deal for a client where he's going to be getting somewhere in the region of 12 to 15%. I say in the region of because we haven't finished the deal yet, but it'll be say 12% return in the first year. And then once he's, you know, paid back some of his investment, he'll be getting 15% net return. You can't get that in a building society. No. You can't get that in a building society. It's going to cost him £35,000 in terms of fees and deposit on this property. And because it is a more complex property, because he's a more experienced investor, he's going to be getting £1,050 return. Now, that's not normal for everybody. A lot of properties will only get you five to £600 return for that level of investment. But he's got a great deal because you know, he's, he's an old friend. I know he's experienced enough. And so I've got him a more advanced property because I know that he can manage it and make the right decisions because that's it. That's the cracks. It's always the right time to invest in property. 
but whether you have the skill to pick the right property and whether you have the skill and the determination to manage it so that it can keeps generating money for you that's important i mean i've spoken again to because this is what i do I have a lot of strategy sessions with people where they're struggling either because they want to get started or because they've got portfolios and speaking to some people where they have got themselves into and i'm going to use the word a greedy space they've gone too big too fast they've borrowed too much money they've put different strategies together where they've made them complex loans without or complex financial agreements without any asset backing it and i'm not going to get into all the details because that's not it's not really a property conversation it's as much a book conversation but you know if you just stay sure and steady until you've got yourself a solid foundation and a decent income coming in so that you know that you can cover all of your expenses and then you know that you don't have to work but you still do once you've then got that experience behind you then you make calculated risks and i think what's happened to quite a few people over let's say the last four years so you know sort of 2016 up to 2020 we were starting to come out of the recession we weren't in fifth gear yet but we were we were starting to pick up pace obviously there was the challenges of brexit god can you remember brexit i mean like that (laughs) just feels like nonsense doesn't it in the background shall we be part of europe or not and now we're thinking oh will we live or not but you know so (laughs) we had all of that going on but we were coming out of all of that And so, you know, people were starting to feel, certainly investors, maybe the general public weren't feeling confident, but investors were starting to feel like there was movement and they could see the end of all of this Brexit uncertainty and they were lining themselves up for all these deals. And I do feel a lot of people overstretch themselves. And again, that brings me back to the beginning of the conversation. You need to understand the maths. No, I completely agree. And as someone with an accounting background, I've always said that maths is probably the most important subject at school, but yet the one everyone Mm. is quite comfortable saying and admitting, I'm no good at it and I don't like it and things. And I always say, you know, we actually, years ago, we made a little game for kids called maths making money fun. Because Mm. to me, money is numbers and it's got Mm. to be fun and you've just got to enjoy it and you can't shy away from it and you just got to like it, you know, why not Mm. there's nothing wrong with that but um i personally think that it's a bad experience people have probably had learning maths at school yes to me maths is one of those things it's like a building block you've got to understand a before you can move on to b totally and if you're on a level e and you still can't understand c then as we go through the alphabet it just makes no sense no of course this is why i think a lot of people struggle and it can be very off-putting because yeah with my background in bookkeeping i've seen grown adults and they just don't want to open their bank statements they, they just leave it oh you know bookkeeper will look after that and i always think well no you know you've got to at least open your bank statements have a look see what's in there but some people just have this kind of really hands-off approach yeah no i totally agree with you and i do feel that they use maths as an excuse to ignore finances i'm no good at mm. maths therefore i won't be any good at finances that's not good enough you can't afford to be like that and you know 2020 shows that and i mean just to talk about how bad maths is we have in the family i think she might be nine or ten year old niece and on the family whatsapp group they've been sharing some of her homework when they get stuck Now, I'm good at maths and flipping heck. I mean, really, you know, a question like, 
so Fred has got an amount of money and Jane has got an amount of money and Fred's got three times what she had. But when you add it together, the answer is like, whoever needs to do that, you need adding up, you need taking away, you need to understand multiplication because that is interest. And why in maths aren't we taught about interest? Why are maths lessons related to the real world? I mean, do you still remember, I have to say I quite like them, 2R plus 3Z equal two C's or something, you know, (laughs) but you never need to do that when you go down the shops. What you need to do is when the shops say to you, buy three, get one free, you need to be able to look at whether that's actually worth the money. Not to mention whether you need three times the product that you went in to buy one of, but is it good value to do that? And, and reading the small print, when you get down to the units, you know, when it says, Oh, it's 32 P per hundred, be able to, understand that if you read that this bottle of ketchup let's say this bottle of ketchup is 32p per hundred and this bottle that's on special offer is actually 34p per hundred even at the reduced price well you're better off buying the other bottle or two of the other bottle at a smaller price you know that's what we need to understand yeah and therefore do not get into property investing if you don't understand or manage your own finances. I mean, I speak Mm. to lots of people either who want me to mentor them into property or want me to just get on and do it and and find the property investments for them. Mm. And one of the key things I make them do before we start having a conversation about their strategy is fill in this sheet and show me how you manage your money. And we probably spend a good hour talking about how they're not really on top of their expenses. They had a big surprise. Oh, they spend more than they thought. And that's the first thing that I make everybody do. Because if I can't make you look at your own finances and manage your own personal budget, when all you've got to do is have wages in and all your direct debits go out, how are you then going to be able to manage a property business, which as soon as you get your first rental, you have a property business Mm. and you have multiple, you know, not necessarily multiple streams of income because you'll have maybe just one property with one rental coming in, but different expenses that you have to pay for. If you're not managing what you're doing at home, how can I then give you another set of maths and another set of accounts to manage and expect this property to be a great return on your money? And I don't think a lot of other property mentors or or even property sourcing agents will do that with clients. But because of my background, because of my marriage breakup, being homeless, being on benefits, having experienced, you know, reposition, eviction, all that sort of stuff. I understand how important it is. You are listening to the Authors Podcast with Lisa Newton. Please do subscribe to, like and share this channel. So let me ask you where the name Property Mermaid came from. <laughs> uh, that's an easy one. A friend of mine, Thomas Power, he and his wife Penny had created something called Academy back in 2007. It was a business environment yeah. for business owners before, if you can imagine 2007, before the invention of Facebook and yes. LinkedIn, yeah. it was a combo Facebook-LinkedIn yes. space. They were with the pioneers, LinkedIn. definitely. And I was part of that. And I had a conversation with Thomas and he asked me about me and he just turned around and went, oh, you're a property mermaid because that's what I was starting to do in 2007, starting to 
look at investing in property, I was still only in the training phases. In fact, I think we probably had the conversation in 2008, not 2007, but just starting out on my property journey and passionate about scuba diving. Love scuba diving, just so happy under the water with the fishes and all the little things and doing my underwater photography. Um, that it was that. And I think what he used to do was he used to meet people and take a bit about their personal life and a bit about their work life and put the two things together. So you might be the property accountant um, yeah. or the property calculator. You know, he might, mm. might make a joke out of that for you, mm. um, mixing your property or he was just very good at that. And then I created that as the website address for my blog and carried on from there. And yeah, it was just a fun name. And I think the thing is with a name like Vicky Wushay, you would have thought Vicky would be easy and the Wushay would be the difficult bit, but people can't spell Vicky and people can't pronounce Wushay. And so having the property mermaid and the blonde hair just meant that people would go, oh, it's you. I know who you are. You're the property mermaid. And people would often come up and talk to me and go, oh, you're the property mermaid. So it's stuck. It's stuck. And oh, I, like I think it's it. really only in the last couple of years I've not used it as obviously. Yeah. And tell us how we can get in touch with you and how to actually spell your name, because that's actually very important. <laughs> I think you're very inspirational. So if, if people out there are looking for a, a property mentor, tell us about the services you offer. Okay. So services first and then moving forward from that so pretty much no matter what you're interested in whether it's working out your mindset and getting a grips with money and looking at how you can take back control of your own life whether it's setting up a business or improving your business or whether it's specifically going into property one of the things that I have is some online audits. So they are free for people. The property one is coming out in a couple of weeks, but the rest are, are up on the website. And if you go to, and I will spell this afterwards, but vickywashay.com forward slash scorecard, you can take one of the free assessments. And what it'll do is send you a personalized report and tell you what you need to be focusing on in order that you can have the life that you want. And then following on from under that is if you find that, in the report, it says, do this and this and this. And you go, oh, I know how to do that. And off you go and you do it. Great. Then I, I have helped you and I am delighted. And you will then go on and help others. And if you don't know how to do it for yourself, then you can get in touch. You can book a quick 20-minute call complimentary to see if I can answer a quick question and move you on. Or if that doesn't work, then you can choose to have a proper strategy session with me. And then what happens is that people read my books, watch my videos, take online courses, take the online assessment, get involved, be part of my database, et cetera. And at some point when it's ready for them, then they get in touch and they say, actually, Vicky, I've had a go on my own. I need you to be my business mentor. I need you to be my property mentor. I need you to, if you like, be my life mentor. I know that I want to live this sort of life and I just need to tidy things up so that I can live my vision. And other people say, I know I want to invest in property and I've got the money, but I don't have the time. I'm busy running my own business or busy being a, a senior management in some other company. I want to employ you to go and find me investment deals. And then that's what I can do with them. So it's mentoring, training, or sourcing property, or you can just read the books. They're all on Amazon, especially the latest book, The Wealthy Retirement Plan, A Revolutionary Guide to Living the Rest of Your Life in Style, which I suppose now I is really title. the funnel of the book to come in. The like starter book, I think. If you yeah. read that one first, mm. then that's the one that is about 
what do you want your life to be like and how can you make your life be what you want it to be and then when you come out the other end of that book you'll either go I'm happy being an employee, but I'm going to do this with my savings and my life. I want to improve my business or start a business and you'll do this. Or you will say, actually, I've got spare money that isn't making enough money in the bank. I want to invest in property and I'll do this. And then you've got the scorecards that will then tell you what's the next step that you need to be playing with. So as I said, I'd spell my name for you. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's V-I-C-K-I. And my last name is spelt W-U-S-C-H-E. And if you can spell that, you'll find me on all social media sites, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram. Um, I have phases of, you know, whether the weather's good or the weather's not so good, how prolific I am on social media and which channel I'm focused on at the time. And you'll be able to find the website address. You'll be able to find the books on Amazon. Yeah, everything if you can spell my name. Okay, vickyrouchet.com. And, and I, I always like to, to ask uh, people this question because I, I think it, it's really, really good. When you've got several books out there, have those books, because they're on property, played a part in your business? Oh, very much so. Very much so. I mean, when I wrote the very first book in 2010, it was very much home done on my own. Got a friend to proofread. I got a friend to help me get it up to Amazon again, because 10 years ago in book writing terms was back in the dark ages. Now you've got software to help you structure your books and, and you've got Amazon and Kindle Plus and all of that. And we didn't have that then. So I wrote that book and I actually wrote it both as a project for me to understand outsourcing because then I had to manage somebody to design and create the cover for me, but also as a way to say to people, stop making assumptions about me. You don't know me. You keep saying to me, Oh, it's all right for you because you don't know me at all. You don't know my story. So I wrote it very much the very first version, which I think is like several thousand pounds on American Amazon, which is quite hysterical, really. Probably somebody's just got the one book. But it was very much about, this is how I took my family pot of £80,000 and went, let's go buy property. And this is the strategies that we used and where they worked and where they didn't work. And then now it's in its fourth edition. And each time I've completely rewritten it, now it's about these are the strategies that I used. And from, you know, a strategic perspective, this is the pros and the cons of these strategies, depending on whether you have time or money that got me speaking gigs. And from the speaking gigs that gets you business, even if you don't sell from the stage. And then I started to recognize that the books were like salespeople and where we're at now, you know, even when you're in the late 20 teens, now we're in the 2020s. So many people have a question and they want it answered. They go to Google and they search. Actually, what a lot of people do, I think a lot of people also go to Amazon and ask the question. Because if they, the answer to their question is a product or a service or potentially a book or information, they may go straight to Amazon first. If it's a generalized question about there's this tree and it's green and it's got a pink flower, then they might ask that off of Google, you know, a general knowledge style question. But if they're starting to go to Amazon, then you need to have product on Amazon that people can find that answers their question. So getting good book titles, good secondary titles to the book, good cover images, 
the back page is so important. The introduction, having a look inside on the book is so important. Having it available both as a paperback and as a Kindle, because so many people read Kindles. I can't even tell you the percentage, uh, the ratio of Kindles to books. It's probably 50 Kindles to a book as an example of you know the balance of what people buy because people just put them on their devices and then it's so much easier they can read off their phones or they can read off of their ipads etc but then the other thing that you need to think about is not only are these little sales people out there but if they're sales people out there they need to have i suppose in pure sales terms we'd call it a script but actually what we're saying is a message and so if you're going to be the answer to someone's question. Your book is going to be the answer to someone's question. First, you have to understand the question in order to answer it. But then what you've got to do is take them on this journey of here is the answer to your question. Now you have the information, you can go away and do it yourself. But if you need help, then this is how I am here for you. Now, obviously, this is slightly different. If you're going to write stories, then that's a different kettle of fish. But I'm talking about sort of practical books. What is the next step that you want your reader to do? What do you want them to do next? And saying phone me won't work because you'll either get swamped or you'll be sitting there listening to a phone that never rings. You need to give them a next step. And it could be go to my website and download these free resources, which are the tools that will help you do part one. You know, here's the spreadsheet or, you know, here's further reading or follow my podcast or follow my YouTube channel or take my online audit. Or even simply, when you've written more books, here are then more books for you to read. So, Excellent. So that, that's some really good tips. Thank you very much, Vicky. I could talk for a lot, a lot longer. I really, really could. I, I think that's quite fascinating. So um, Maybe so we what... need to do a podcast on each of the five books. We'll do five podcasts <laughs> on each book and, you know, the lessons for authors and the lessons for property people. So we could do another 10 podcasts if you want, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> I'll definitely have you back. I will definitely have you. <laughs> So thank you very much. So Vicky, just once again, your website is www.vickyrouchet.com and Vicky is spelled V-I-C-K-I Wouche is W-U-S-C-H-E Wouche, sorry That's fine W-U-S-C-H-E and you can find Vicky on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram Vicky Wouche I think it's probably safe to say there's probably only one of you <laughs> Yes <laughs> Yes, there is only one of me. (laughs) That's brilliant. So thank you very much for being a guest on the Authors Podcast, Vicky. You've been very generous with your time and with your knowledge. And that's really much appreciated. Totally my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Lisa. Thank you. So listeners, I hope that's inspired you. I know a lot of you were interested in property and uh, I'm quite excited just listening to Vicky. So do check out her website and take the scorecard. Take the scorecard, which is on her website, vickywouche.com. So that concludes another episode of the Authors Podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in and I'll see you next time. You have been listening to the Authors Podcast with Lisa Newton, sponsored by Boogles Limited. Tweet the show at Boogles underscore books, spelled B-O-O-G-L-E-Z underscore Books. You can also contact your host via the email address lisa at lisanewton.co.uk. And if you want to join our authors community, 
Join the inner circle at www.writerbook.net. You have just been listening to the author's podcast with Lisa Newton. See you next time.